Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditation of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Today's scripture comes from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the people debated among themselves, asking, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the human one and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me lives because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It isn't like the bread your ancestors ate, and then they died. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Here ends the reading. As many of you know, I live in Tokyo, Japan. And uh, when I first got here, I looked for an English-speaking congregation to be a member of here, and I found uh, an English-speaking uh, Anglican or Episcopal uh, congregation here in Tokyo. It's been here for a long time. And I started attending there, and I got to know people, and um, I went and visited... Uh, with the other parishioners and with the, the priest and was involved in uh, the homeless outreach ministry and, and other things. And I was fairly active um, for the six months um, before my family got here. Because when, my, when my family came, then you know, we moved to a larger house, things got more busy. It was harder to get away to go um, to church on Sunday mornings because it was about an hour to an hour and a half commute each way um, to get to get to the church so it was it was a lot of investment and so i just found myself going every couple of weeks instead of every week and eventually i found myself going less and less and uh, at one point uh, i got an email from the the priest who uh, was a really nice guy and and he wanted to come and meet with me uh, just to check in see how i was doing you know because i hadn't been there in a while and so i came and we had lunch and it was it was a great experience and i, I really enjoyed it and, uh, we were talking, and he's, you know, one of the things he brought up, he said, you know, I'm I'm worried about you because you haven't been taking communion, and you should be you should be taking communion every week. I want you to make sure you come back and take you know take communion. And I remember thinking at the time that I thought that was an odd an odd thing to be worried about. That I, I appreciated that that he was worried about me being um, out of touch with the uh, with the congregation, out of touch with the community. But I thought it was odd that he was specifically worried about um, the fact that I wasn't taking communion. But it really has to do a lot with how the Anglican Church views communion and, and what it means, uh, what it means to them. Then, when I was being ordained by the Christian Universalist Association, uh, one of the things that uh, came up was, as I was working on the ordination service, was whether we were going to call things like, uh, like. Uh, the Eucharist meal and baptism, whether we were going to call them sacraments or whether we were going to call them ordinances. And this was the first time that this had a uh, bit of uh, terminology 
had come up for me. You know, I was uh, I, I had been kind of in the congregational church, but even in the in the UCC in the U.S., um, you know, we refer to the uh, to the to baptism in the Eucharist as sacraments, not as ordinances. But what I found is that the the early congregationalists uh, in the in the the English colonies before they became the U.S. were really concerned about this, especially uh, the Baptists and the folks who were uh, who felt that grace was a gift of God. It was not something that, that we earned through our own work, through our own actions. Because uh, for them, grace was only a gift. Then, of course, uh, the Eucharist meal and the baptism um, ritual could not be things that, that uh, gave you grace. You know, it wasn't that by your works of doing these things, you were given grace, um, and that then helped you get into heaven, for example. It had to be that God just gave you grace. And when I've, I've been going back recently and reading um, some of the early documents from uh, the early Universalist churches that started in the U.S. back in the 1790s uh, and 1800s, and this was something that was really heavily on their mind at the time. And in fact, in the in the early founding documents of the, uh, the General Convention, the G General Universalist Convention uh, of the United States, they mention specifically ordinances, and they call them ordinances. Uh, and they mention that they're not required for salvation, which is a really important point. That that you know, they're saying that it's good to, to do these things; they're important to do, to do, but that they're not strictly required for salvation because salvation is only up to God and God's grace. And that's a very different way of looking at things than how I was I was brought up to look at things. And certainly the UCC is not fully congregationalist. The UCC is also mixed with the Evangelical and Reformed Church, which was a Presbyterian, um, Presbyterian polity, kind of Presbyterian uh, slash Lutheran Reformed uh, con you know, group of congregations. So there's a mix in there. But I still thought it was really interesting to think about the differences here. And so this story we, we had today in our reading about uh, Jesus saying that, that he is the bread of life and that um, only those who come through him can come to the Father. Uh, this this is a, a difficult reading. And in fact, even in the reading, immediately after Jesus says, you know, uh, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood uh, will, will have eternal life, he has a, a discussion with the his disciples and the disciples say, this is a, this is a difficult, this is a difficult teaching. I, you know, who can possibly agree with this? eating your, your, your body and your blood. How, how does that work? You know, that, that doesn't make any sense. And he has to talk to them about it because they don't understand the symbolism of it. And so this has been something that has come up um, over and over again in the church. The, the importance um, of uh, the Eucharist meal and who can take it. Can only people who are baptized take it? Can only people from, from this denomination take it? Can only people from this congregation take it? Uh, the Eucharist here? Can everybody take it? And of course, um, you know, I, my personal view is that everybody should be able to take the Eucharist if they, if they want to. That it's not up to me to, uh, to be a barrier between them and God. That it's, it's Jesus' table and it's up to, to, you know, it's between them and Jesus, uh, uh, between them and God about whether they can take the Eucharist or not. Depending on how they feel. So, but when we look at this again, there's another aspect that we look at if we look from a universalist perspective, and that's this whole idea about um, those who do this, those who eat my, my flesh and drink my blood, they will receive eternal life, implying that those who do not will not. 
and uh, certainly in the longer passage, we hear even more of this. And <clears throat> like many things in the Bible, um, this this one reading, uh, which is from the um, the Revised Common Lectionary uh, reading for this week, uh, which is a set of it, it's a, a three year cycle that works through the entire Bible. Um, this reading is kind of a small piece of a much larger narrative, and, and the reading is kind of hard to understand by itself, just kind of picked up out of the text. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And so I'd like to, to, um, to if you, I'd ask you to humor me as we go back uh, just a little bit and, and do a little bit more uh, narrative, read a little bit more of the, of the narrative. So if we back up in John, what's happened right before this is the feeding of the 5,000. So uh, Jesus and his disciples are, are in uh, in this place, and these all these people come, and it's the Passover meal. And Jesus says, where are we going to get food to give the people the Passover? And they find uh, a boy who's got five loaves of, of bread and, and two fish, and Jesus blesses that and is able to, to uh, make that stretch and feed everybody until they're full, and they can still gather up 12 baskets. And afterwards, as often we often see with Jesus, after he's done something kind of large, he goes off by himself uh, to to rest and and to um, to uh, collect his thoughts. And the uh, the disciples leave. They go on a boat and they leave. They go they go across uh, the Sea of Galilee to their side to uh, to Capernaum. And uh, during the night, there's a big storm, and Jesus comes walking on the water uh, to them. And, and when he gets in the boat. They arrive at their destination. So the next day, um, what we find is that the crowd finds out that he's gone. So the next, this is where we pick up. The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the lake realized that only one boat had been there. They knew Jesus hadn't gone with his, his disciples, but that the disciples had gone alone. Some boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they had eaten the bread, over which the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and they came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now Jesus replied to them, I assure you, you are not looking for me now because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate all the food you wanted. Don't work for the food that doesn't last, doesn't last, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one will give you. So here we have this distinction that is, I think is kind of lost in the little piece of reading we had, where the whole chapter is talking about food. We have the feeding of the people. Jesus is feeding the people bread. But really, it's not physical bread that you eat that, that, that gives you sustenance that's important. It's the spiritual bread, the bread that, that, that Jesus is uh, using now as a metaphor to talk about the understanding of the kingdom of God, the knowledge of the kingdom of God. They asked, what must we do in order to accomplish what God requires? And Jesus replied, this is what God requires, that you believe in him who God sent. And they asked, well, what sign are you going to show us so that we can believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So he's, now they're talking about the Exodus and Moses in the wilderness and Moses asking God to give the people bread to eat and, and God miraculously causing manna to appear every morning for the people to eat. And Jesus says, I assure you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So here we have the bread from heaven that Moses gave, the physical bread you eat, versus the bread from heaven that 
Jesus is talking about this, the, the knowledge of the, of the kingdom of God and, and um, you know, how, to, how to be a better person and improve your life and those kinds of things. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Please sing, Jesus, the bread of God. Sir, give us that bread all the time. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have seen me, and still you don't believe me. Everyone whom the Father gives to me will come to me, and I won't send anyone away who comes to me. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of the one who sent me, that I won't lose anything he has given me, but I will raise it up at the last day. So here again we see the universalist reading in the text. Everyone who, come, who, who the Father sends, Jesus will save. It's not everyone who comes to the Father. It's not everyone who, who changes their life and and uh, says I you know I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's everyone that God sends. Everyone that God sends to Jesus, Jesus will save and, and raise up on the last day. This is my Father's will that all who see the Son and believe in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. The Jewish op opposition grumbled about him because he said, "I am the bread that came from heaven." They asked, isn't this Jesus, Joseph's son, whose mother and father we know? How can he now say, I, I have come from heaven? And Jesus responded, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless they are drawn to me by the Father who sent me. And I will raise them up at the last day. So here again, it's, it's not a person's own intention that draws them to Jesus. It is the will of God, right? It's, it's out of their control. It is written in the prophets that they will be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. He's talking, of course, about himself. I assure you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that whoever eats from it will never die. Here's the important, the important line. So at the beginning, we're talking about the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus giving physical bread. They come looking for him the next day because they're amazed at how he created all this bread. And he says, this, this bread you eat isn't important. And they said, well, show us a sign. You know, Moses made bread for us. And he's like, well, Moses didn't make bread for you. God sent you bread. But even then, it's that physical bread is not important. What's important is the spiritual bread, and that's what you find through me. And he says, unlike the, the bread that they ate in the wilderness where they still died, when you eat my bread, meaning the his the teachings and and the you know the uh, information about the kingdom of God, then you will live forever. You will never die. And then we continue. It continues from where we left off. So, having gone to a slightly longer uh, discussion of the actual text, what does that mean? What is it talking about? Well, the important thing in this text, people people tend to attach it to the Eucharist meal. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a very surface level reading to say, this is about the Eucharist. He who eats my, who eats my uh, body and drinks my blood will, will have eternal life. Therefore, the Eucharist is required for salvation. You must have the, you must be, partake of the Eucharist in order to be saved and, and to obtain eternal life. But that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about the bread of, of life. And his blood, as 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 uh, the water of life, those who are thirsty will come and drink. Um, he's talking about those things uh, metaphorically. He's talking about 
the, his his teachings and, and belief in him and and uh, helping to 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 build the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. He's saying he, he's trying to to give the people a metaphor because they just ate all this bread and they're talking about bread and he's like, you know, who cares about the bread? The important part is that you change your lives for the better. That you that you try to live according to the way that God wants you to live. Those are the important things. So that's that's what what uh, he comes through. And he, there's all this talking here too about only through me that people can only come through me through Jesus. And a lot of that has been used to kind of push back against the universalist understanding, the, the idea of universalist reconciliation, universal reconciliation, that all people will eventually be reconciled to God, that no one will burn in hell for all eternity. And uh, yet, the, the text actually doesn't say everyone who chooses to follow me will be saved. It says everyone the Father sends will be saved. And so what we're saying is that because God wishes for all to be saved, God will send all of them. God will send everybody. Uh, God will God will send everybody to Jesus. Uh, now, some of those people uh, will resist, and some of the people will have to have to make up for the uh, the bad things they've done in their in their lives, the way they've treated other people, the way they've treated the environment and themselves, and um, the, you know the the, the uh, arrogance and other things that they've had in their lives. They'll have to repent and make up for all those things, but they'll eventually be reconciled to God. They'll eventually come to understand. Uh, why it's important um, to follow and believe in Jesus, and they'll be they'll be resurrected with everybody else. So now what? <laughs> what do I do with this thing every when I when I leave from here? Well, I think the important part of this, I think, that it's twofold. One, I want you to think about when you leave. I want you to think about the importance of baptism and the Eucharist, because. Uh, of all of the of, of the very few things that all Christians agree on, all Christians agree on the importance of the baptism, of baptism and the Eucharist, um, which is really interesting. There's a lot of other things that, that Christians disagree on all over the place. They all agree these two things are important, even universalists. But why they're important and what they mean varies greatly between um, Christian denominations and traditions. And I think it's important to, to really think about how you understand those those ordinances <laughs> or sacraments, perhaps, and what they mean to you. I can tell you what they mean to me. To me personally, they're important rituals of the faith. The, the Eucharist is, for me, a remembrance of the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and a coming together of the community around a table just as Jesus did when he brought people together around the table for a meal. The most basic of human interactions come together and eat. Um, everyone's there. Everyone's at the table together. No one is, is pushed away or left out. That's what the Eucharist means to me. It's very important to my faith. But I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's magic. I don't think it's, a, it's something that, that because I take this bread, I am saved. Um, I think it's a sign of my living in the community. And uh, from that perspective, it's very important to me. When I take it, I remember my own, um, my own uh, agreements, my, my, own, my own need for that community and my own um, uh, things that I've said that I will do, covenants I've had with that community. And uh, those things come back to mind. And it's the same with baptism. I think baptism is very important, but I'm, you know, 
I've, I've become quite Baptist in my understanding of baptism uh, recently. I, I think that believer's baptism, it makes most sense because I think the importance of baptism is not to, um, not to save somebody through baptism. It's uh, someone's way of expressing to the community their willingness to be part of the community, their willingness to, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to be his disciple. And so it's a public pronouncement of what they already feel inside. Uh, in my opinion, they're already saved. Uh, the, the baptism is just a, a physical representation of that truth that already exists. Now, of course, people have different opinions on these things. And uh, I'm not trying to, to um, dissuade anybody or convince anybody. Um, well, actually, I guess I'm kind of trying to convince you a little bit. But I'm not trying to, to, uh, to tell you you're wrong. I mean, I think that there's really, there are really good um, understandings of, of covenant and of um, sacrament and sacramental understandings of these various things and other things, anointing with oil and, and uh, confession and um, other other things that different Christian groups uh, believe are sacraments, and some do and some don't. Uh, I think there's, there's a good argument for all that stuff, but whatever you believe on this subject, I think it's important that you, uh, that you grapple with it, that you engage, that you are um, actively involved in thinking about what you believe and not just accepting what others have said. Amen.